Hi, I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something that through no fault of our own or through our own making, we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources, so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and then found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. It's a beautiful day in paradise, and this is Debbie coming to you from sunny South Florida, and I'm really excited to be on Stand Up and Speak Up today. I have a new friend. You guys always <laughs> laugh when I say that. <laughs> Every week is a new friend for me. And this friend is coming to us from the Denver, Colorado area. And I'd like to welcome Miss Jamie Dandar McKinney. Welcome, good, my friend. Good morning, Debbie. It's a, this is a great way to start my day. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. I know it's early in Colorado and it's a hot, hot, hot day in Colorado. Yeah, uh, probably the best temperature all day. So this this works out just fine. There you go. But thank you so much for being with us. This show is Stand Up and Speak Up, and it's the fastest hour on broadcasting, I think. <laughs> it goes so quickly because it's it's a conversation. And it's my way of finding out about who you are, what you're doing, and how you're serving a lot of women and men. I don't want to leave them out, but a lot of women in this world with what you're doing. So Jamie, I'd like to start off with going back to your childhood, where you grew up, and a little bit about your family, a little bit about some hobbies. Time sure, sure. Well, we we have a military connection, Debbie, you and I. Um, my, my dad was in the Air Force, so my life began on an Air Force base uh, in Biloxi, Mississippi. And then my, my conscious life, as I like to say, uh, started in Ohio, which is where my parents are from. I grew up in Toledo. Uh, I went to Ohio State for school and then uh, straight out of college. Uh, I started with the company in the automotive industry. Uh, the training period for my job was about a year long and halfway into it, there it was a snowy day in March in Cleveland, Ohio. And my, my boss at the time called me into his office and he said, hey, we've got an opportunity it's six months out in Colorado. What do you think? Um, and you know, a few weeks later, I'm heading out to Colorado for what was allegedly six months, and that was in March of the year 2000. So, so it's been an extended trip. Well, you're still there, and, and I spent some time in Colorado at the Air Force Base when it yep. was not there anymore. <laughs> uh, that's where I met my late husband, and he and I um, we went to training there. But I had worked there uh, after college. I, my first job was at a a law firm in Denver. And then when I was released before I went to the Air Force, I worked with oil and gas at Arco. Yep. So and I've done that as well. Not not at Arco specifically, but in oil and gas. Yeah. I don't even know if they're there anymore, but that was that was way back. Uh but going back a little bit before you got into college though, you've got two sisters. You're the I oldest. Have two sisters. Yep. I'm the oldest of three. Uh we are we are very much what the birth order studies say. <laughs> um we, you know, as kids, we loved to play outside, you know, as, as much as we could. Our, you know, our mom said, go outside. Yeah, I think <laughs> um, all moms did back then. Yeah. Uh, and when we didn't have, you know, the internet and apps, we had kickball and bike rides and bike ramps. And we were just, I mean, we played a lot in the neighborhood, always involved in sports as well. Uh, just, you know, grew up in kind of like the good old Midwest values uh, scenario. And you and your sister, I, it could have been really girly girls, but there are a lot of boys around. Yeah, our neighborhood was like almost exclusively boys. Um, and, you know, play rough, be tough was one of my dad's sayings, uh, <laughs> which, you know, wasn't to say if, if we would legitimately hurt ourselves, of course, we got the, the care and the comfort that we needed. But 
Uh, play rough, be tough was a pretty standard saying around our house. I like that. Uh, I had three brothers and and then three sons and two grandsons so far. There's a lot of a lot of boys and a lot of testosterone hanging around. Uh, but that's okay. That your your brothers or well, my brothers had friends, <laughs> <laughs> and I got to die. It was very popular because of my brothers and their friends, uh, which you know girls like. But boys can be intimidating as we get older. And I heard you say something, again, I mentioned to you earlier, I spent the last couple of hours with you uh, on podcasts listening, mm-hmm. and you'd said something, uh, you were asked one time about where do young women, when do they lose mm-hmm. their confidence? Because this is mm-hmm. going to be about confidence, but let's go back a little. When does it start for a lot of us? Right. So, so there's something called the confidence gap, um, and that develops uh, for girls primarily in the, the preteen and te- early teen years. And that's when, you know, you're in school and the sense of belonging, which is, you know, on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, belonging is foundational. Your sense of belonging outweighs your sense of authenticity. And so that when you start to have ideas in your head or you're saying things and others may not be agreeing with you or you're experiencing some sort of negative reaction, it's, it's conditioning to not to stop speaking up, to silence that voice, because you'd rather just be there and, and belong to the group in whatever way that makes sense for the group think, as opposed to potentially your authenticity. Well, that's also the time when you really feel like you could get bullied. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was an athlete, so I could do it that way, but I also got very tall very quickly, like six inches in a year. And I remember wow, that yeah. makes you feel small though. I didn't want to be taller than the boys, like so fitting in you start to shrink well. It's where the shoulders start to shrug, right? Mm-hmm, you don't mm-hmm. want to be as tall because it's so noticeable and you're, you're not sticking, you're not fitting in, you're sticking out. Um, so I, I, I wrote a, uh, an article in a book one time called Notes to My Younger Self and I wrote back to myself at 15 and I realized that a lot of what had happened earlier on uh, at 15, I just, I just wanted to be loved. I had my first boyfriend <laughs> and you know, the, when the first time he said you look better in a skirt than in jeans, I didn't wear jeans for 30 years. <laughs> he has since an impactful statement. <laughs> he has since apologized. He goes, should I buy you a pair of jeans? I'm like, absolutely not. Um, but that sticks with you. Mm-hmm. And it sticks with. So as a young girl, did you ever have that kind of experience? Though? Were you ever taken advantage of as, as a young woman, even though you're number one in the family? Number one in the family. Uh, well, I mean, I, you know, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I was the, the shortest or the second shortest. Um, so I can't, I can't really speak to it with the height. And, you know, I was in a really small school and so it's to not, to not belong would have meant you were very much an outsider. I mean, there were only 20, 20, some of us, you know, in, oh, in yeah. my class. Uh, so no, I, I didn't have overwhelming feelings of that, but there were, th- you know, like basketball, <laughs> that wasn't one of my sports. Um, <laughs> uh, and you know, some of the girls played it. So, I mean, maybe there, there was a sense of not fitting in, but you know what, something that my parents did <clears throat> that was particularly helpful in, you know, building the confidence of myself and my sisters is that they made sure uh, that we tried out different activities and we found the one that was our own, um, that we were, you know, like the family expert, you know, for example. And that was, that I think was key in developing some of those early on feelings of self-worth and ownership. And that this isn't about trying to be good at everything, but it's about leaning into your natural skills and strengths and you're figuring those out, right? When, at, at that age, um, and then the more you lean into them and own them, you've got a natural pro- proclivity to grow those even more. So, I mean, I could, I could practice basketball for several hours a day and I, you know, my learning curve would still be really steep and I would only experience incremental growth. Whereas someone who has a natural proclivity with that, they could spend the same amount of time that I did and get so much better, so much faster. And that's just, that's just, we're, we're all different and that's okay. That's a good thing. So what did you like to do? What was your, I, so I danced, uh, that was my sport, so to speak. I mean, I played softball, uh, but I was okay. It wasn't great. Uh, but dance, dance was my thing. That was, you know, when we were 
we. I was organizing uh, little recitals in the basement or shows, you know, that my sisters and I would put on. Uh, that was that was my expertise. Uh, my middle sister was an artist. Uh, my youngest sister did horseback riding, and and she did play basketball. Uh, so we each had our things, and that was that was fantastic. Do you still have an opportunity to dance today? Uh, I mean, in the shower, <laughs> during meetings, in between meetings, <laughs> in informally, yes, all the time. I mean, but that's where your joy actually comes. I could see it in your smile that you loved to do that. Yeah, just I mean, moving music. Uh, you know, it's as they say, a body in motion stays in motion, and this is, and I think we'll get into this today. But it's also one of the ways you know to make a deposit, you know, in yourself and your in your wellness and your self confidence throughout the day. Or what are what are things that light you up and that you love. Yeah. Um, and even doing those in small increments is really impactful. And we're going to get into that more fully. Um, you mentioned that the after after you got out of um, out of high school, you went on to college, and your first job was not in dance. Also, <laughs> no. got your first corporate job. Yes. Yeah, so, so I started working for a major automotive refinish uh, company right out of college, and. I knew nothing about the industry. In fact, I remember in the interview, they said to me, what do you know about cars and paint? And I looked at them and I said, you know, my, my dad taught me how to change the oil in the garage. Like that's about the extent of what I know. And they said, great. That means you have no bad habits, you know, no habits and no bad habits were, were synonymous um, and we'll teach you. And I thought, fantastic. I mean, you know, I, this turns tuition, like tuition dollars at work now and, uh, now I'm learning and making money at the same time. I thought this was absolutely brilliant and exciting. Uh, and so they did teach me uh, what was interesting, though. And th this is where, you know, in grade school, I always felt like I fit in. Uh, now, though, I did not. Uh, I was the third female to join a team of 400. Uh, I was the youngest by, on average, about 20 years. Uh, I hadn't grown up in the industry. As I mentioned, I didn't know anything about it, so I didn't have stories to regale of, oh, when I was in pigtails running around grandpa's shop or anything like that. Uh, and I did have, the one thing I did have uh, was the college degree. And so if we were playing the game, which one of these things is not like the others, that was me on a lot of levels. And that that is where I did start to feel that sense of, hmm, <laughs> do I speak up? Do I not speak up? Uh, there were there were friends around me. There were also foes. I would say the foes probably outweighed the friends, especially with the realization that this young girl is being groomed mm -hmm. uh, to move up, to be a boss. She, I could have to report to her. <laughs> no way. Uh, so you can imagine some of the shenanigans or, you know, resistance that I felt. But that was also the time that, I don't know if it was my naivety or, or, or my grit to say, you know, I'm determined to make this work. I'm going to do this. Uh, you know, I, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a firefighter. So my mindset was, you know, you get somewhere and you stay there. You know, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'll be here for a year and then I'll go somewhere else and I'll, I'll go somewhere else. So having, having that uh, longevity in mind, I had to figure out a way to make that work. And that's where my interest and curiosity and development about confidence really started. So did you have, you obviously had the support of your, the person that hired you, mm -hmm. they knew you could do it. Did you ever feel a little bit of resentment against those men? I, I'm coming from this point of view. When I was a young Lieutenant in the Air Force, uh, I was over in Germany. I was, the Colonel called me in and said, I want you to go run a photo lab. We were doing a lot of stuff in, in German, around Berlin. Mm -hmm. And I was like a fish out of water. I had the management experience. I had imagery experience, but I hadn't run a lab. I was in Denver, actually went to Colorado, get the training, went sent back to Germany. When I got there, the man running the lab had been in the Air Force 30 something years, chief master sergeant, bull in a china shop, Yep, <laughs> knew what should be going on, but was Mr. I've been here all these years and I'm in charge. Well, young Lieutenant walks in you know, sachets in as we, he would put it. Yes. <laughs> he didn't like me being there. He, he resented the fact that I was there. Didn't want to listen to me. And we go to the bowling alley at lunch. In the meantime, I'm sitting there going, Colonel, what did you do to me? You know, what am I here? And he goes, you can do it. Just get to know the business, understand it from the bottom up. 
get to know the guys that are actually doing the work, not the Mm -hmm. one that thinks he's running it. Mm -hmm. And I'm supporting you, not him. Well, that's exactly what I did in a kind sort of way, still ticked the guy off, but he ended up getting transferred out. But for a while, it's how did you get the confidence to keep pursuing that? I know how I did. I want to hear how you did it. And how did the men feel after they realized who you were? So I think there's, there's, there's multi-layers to this this response. Uh, There was a part, part of the distinction between those who were supportive of me and those who were not uh, was their own centeredness in their confidence or their insecurities. The ones who knew how to do their job, knew how to do it well, were confident in what they did, had the realization of here's where I have expertise and here's where I don't. Uh, those were the ones that looked at me and said, I want to know how you tick. <laughs> you know, I want to know how your brain thinks because it's no secret that men and women tend to think about things differently. And they saw that as an opportunity. They saw that as you know having a creative value, whereas the ones who weren't so centered in their confidence or who had been doing the same job over and over and over again, year after year after year, hadn't added new skills, uh, didn't have Microsoft Office uh, capabilities, for example. I remember taking you know an Excel trading class because that was somewhat new at the time. Um, and I had been doing that in college. So, you know, when the instructor would give us an exercise, I had it done in a couple minutes. And, you know, these guys, it was taking, that was the first time they had been, been exposed to it. And so that was the, the dichotomy between those two. The ones that, that had skill sets that they had continued to grow, they knew what they knew and they knew what they didn't know and they were okay with that. But then there was the other side that hadn't grown their skill sets had been staying in fixed mindset, quite honestly, I didn't know that term then, but that's what I would call it now. And saw saw this more, saw me more as a competitor than a collaborator. That's where the resistance came from. And that's hard to get past because you can't change their mind. So how did you get them to love you or to at least trust you? Right. Well, and I didn't, you know, it, it, let me be very careful how I say this. I didn't need necessarily everybody to trust me. I mean, that would have been a big job uh, to do that. And that, that wasn't my job, but they're the people whose opinions mattered to me and whom I respected and who had uh, decision-making influence over, you know, my career. Those were the people whose respect that I wanted to gain and where I wanted to gain the relationship uh, with, with those, you know, on the resistance side, I certainly wasn't there to make enemies, but I also had to be careful uh, because friendliness and flirtiness often got mistaken for each other. Um, And that was especially difficult. You know, when I was young, they knew I was single and, you know, being nice was construed as (laughs) some other things that it most definitely was not. Right. Uh, So part of that, there, there were boundaries uh, there, in, in my book, one of the chapters that was up for consideration that actually didn't make it in was I'd rather be known as a stick in the mud than a party girl. <laughs> um, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with stick in the mud. No, well, I'll tell you what, Pollyanna, sticks, sticks in the mud get promoted. Party girls, you know, probably, well, I'd, there could be a lot of other paths that way, but I wanted to go the one that I, I knew would work. Uh and so I was that, I mean, I, I will say that hurt my feelings occasionally, like, oh, you know, Jamie's no fun or whatever. And I would, I would participate in our events. I would have a drink or two. I was never the one who stayed out late. Uh, I just, you know, I, I had to be very mindful and very careful. Um, and even if, I mean, there were times, even if let's say we, you know, we did a lot of traveling and out of town conferences and you know, someone simply with good intentions, because he probably had a daughter my age or something like that, you know, walked me to my hotel room. The story the next day was, oh, you know, Joe and Jamie. And it's like, you have got to be kidding me. Like, It's not interesting to me in that capacity whatsoever. Uh, So it was a a lot of mental energy that I had to put into being very careful uh, while simultaneously having FaceTime, having meaningful conversations, talking about my career, talking about what I was learning, again, with the people whose 
opinions matter to me and who've had that decision-making capability. Well, it's good experience, but it, it is hard, especially if you, if you're sensitive to, you know, how people feel. And so many of us, I think, always worried about how are people going to feel about me? You know, what are they saying? And uh, I've learned as I've gotten older that that really doesn't matter a whole lot. But back then, it goes back to when we were young. It mattered. It mattered. Uh, but you well, learned a lot. It, right. And, and, and again, I go back to the building the trust with, with the people whose, whose opinions mattered to me, because I can't control what 400 people are thinking. Um, and I certainly can't control what those who are, are leading with their insecurities are doing, <clears throat> but I can control certain relationships that are impactful. And, you know, an example of this is, uh, I had a boss named Tim and I lived here in Colorado and he was in Texas. Uh, and we had our, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings, which were just over the, over the phone. I don't even think we had video <laughs> then. Uh, and I had that trust with him and good thing because I was out uh, in Nebraska, part of my territory. And I'd come back from a trip. And when I came in town, you know, I had the man I had replaced in this role was 60 years old. His name was Bob. I was about as different from Bob as one could be, you know, several times. Uh, the, I was asked the question, you Bob's granddaughter? And <laughs> nope, <laughs> I'm Mike's, I'm Mike's granddaughter. He lives in Ohio. You probably don't know him. Uh, I love that. <laughs> but I came back from this trip and a few days later, I had a call from, from my boss, Tim. And he was right when I answered the phone, I could just tell the energy was different. And he was hemming and hawing. And it, it was like, that just so much hesitation with what he had to say. And I said, Tim, what's up? And he said, well, I have to, I have to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay. And he said, you were in Nebraska last week. Right. And I said, yeah. And he said, and, you know, you visited the shop and that shop and blah, blah, blah. And I said, yes. And he said, is there any chance that you were drunk dancing on the bar? There's <laughs> dancing on the bar at, you know, whatever the local, I don't even remember the name, the local pub was. <laughs> and because I had an established reputation and because I had built trust with Tim, I, I just, I paused when he asked me that question. And I said, do you, do you think that's true, Tim? Like before I even answered him and he said, no, he said, I don't. He said, but I heard it and I have, and I have to ask you. And I said, well, it's absolutely not true. Um, I said, if I, I'm like, I'd have to go look back for sure but I'm pretty sure I saw a movie by myself that night I could probably share you share my ticket sub with you and he was like no 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 I don't <laughs> I don't need that um but what I later learned is that that actually wasn't even one of the guys there was a woman who rare woman in the industry uh who's significantly older and she wasn't real thrilled about my presence and instead of seeing me as a potential collaborator and somebody you know, we could learn from each other. I mean, I, even at the young age, I, I had some, you know, college skills, business skills, Microsoft office skills that she didn't have. And she had a ton of experience and skills that I didn't have. Uh, and we could have traded, we could have collaborated, we could have been a powerful team, but she went the opposite route. I watched a show the other day. It was a group of lawyers, actually. It was new on Netflix and exact same thing where the young lawyer looked to the older one uh, as a mentor and got shut down right off the bat. And mm -hmm. she's like, I don't understand, you know? And I think part of it came from that older woman had been shut out. Mm -hmm. And so that was her fallback. That was her protection about, I'm not going to spread, you know, where the younger girls were like, let's speak. And I, I belong to a women's group down here in Florida too. And it's all about, they call it co-opetition. You know, it's not competition, it's cooperating. It's using other people's resources to learn because what do they say? Um, duplication is the greatest sense of form imitation of flattery. Is the highest imitation. Form of flattery. Yeah, yep. yeah. Uh, so why reinvent the wheel? Mm -hmm. but, so that fallback sometimes uh, maybe changing, but used to be so competitive uh, and to the detriment of the ladies. I found that in the Air Force too, because I found that there were the party girls that made their way up the chain, you know, spending time with the colonel. Uh, and when I went to get out of the Air Force and the general I worked for sat me down and said, we really need for you to stay in. Why are you getting out? I said, 
I don't want to be like the women that are above me. That's not me. Um, and, and I was going to stay home with, to raise my family, which was right up his alley. He loved it because his wife did that, but that was important to me. But the women I looked to were not the women I wanted to be. And it really takes some confidence to step away from that. It's a good salary. Um, so <laughs> you actually stepped away from automotive. What moved you out of that business and into the next? Well, right. So it was, it was 10 years later. So I did oh. stick with it, uh, for, for a decade. Uh, I, <laughs> what prompted that, that catalyst was I just figured out that I had no true passion for cars and paint. It just wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't interesting to me. I tried, uh, but it just, at my roots, it wasn't, you know, the, the races and the things that we would go to, uh, I just, I didn't have the passion for it. Uh, but I really enjoyed the job itself, the sales, the business development, the customer interaction, the marketing side of things. And so, you know, I asked myself, all right, what if I could do what I do with, you know, inside of an industry where I simultaneously have the passion, because I would watch certain guys give presentations and, you know, they weren't polished. They were fumbling around with things. Their shirt was half untucked, but they had so much passion. Um, and you could tell that they loved it. And that's very contagious. And, you know, enthusiasm with, with knowledge is a great way to connect with customers and be successful in business. And I just didn't have that. And you know, I had the polish side, but not the, the passion side. So I went back to school uh, to get my MBA. So I was doing full-time work and full-time school and zero time, anything else <laughs> for a couple of years, and then transitioned over to the energy industry. Uh, sustainability, I started on the renewable side, uh, got laid off, went to the what what I had known as the dark side, and then I got over to it and realized that it actually is not is not that. Um, there's a lot more to it than that, uh, but I had a lot of passion, and so that was really exciting because I could marry the two, you know, the, the skill sets along with the passion and the enthusiasm. But again, you were in a male dominated yep. organization, and I love. <laughs> tell us the story about when you were going out to the field for the first time. Yes, so. Going over the making the transition from automotive to oil and gas. When I got to oil and gas, uh, ma male dominated, not as male dominated as as automotive, but still pretty male dominated. I got there and I said, "Oh, okay. <laughs> now that I'm going through this again, it, this is my second rodeo, not my first, and I've, I've got a better idea of what's happening here." So, yes, the first day, uh, I think it was my second week, maybe with the company, and I was being sent out to tour a rig site, which I was super excited about. I mean, I'd never, never been out to a rig site before, and my boss said, uh, "There's a, a gentleman. I'm air quoting gentleman here. Yeah, uh, named Bob, and he's going to be giving you a tour." And he said, "I'm sorry, Jamie. I I couldn't find anybody else. He's he's rough around the edges. He's not a fan of women on the rig site, but you know, I'm sure you can handle him." And I said, "All right." Um, so the day before I was going out there, I emailed Bob and I had, I said, here's the personal protective equipment I have, you know, the extensive list. Is there anything else I need? You know, the hard hat, the coveralls, the eyewear, the, you know, all of the earplugs, the whole thing. And <laughs> to my extensive email, Bob replied, and he simply said, direct quote, don't be wearing them stilettos out here. <laughs> And I remember sitting in my cube in my office in downtown Denver, and I saw that email and I smiled and I was like, oh, Bob, I've, <laughs> you know, I haven't met you specifically, but I've, I've met versions of you before. And so I typed my reply and I hit send. And what I said was, well, my stilettos are steel toed. So that's cool. Right. And, <laughs> and that was that. And, and, you know, when I showed up Debbie the next day with my proper steel toed boots, uh, which did have pink piping on them. So they were, <laughs> there you, go. you know, they were, they were mine. They were not theirs and they fit um, the coveralls were another story, but uh, Bob didn't really, I mean, had, had I not been told that he was rough around the edges or didn't I, like, I wouldn't have even known. Um, so part of it is just moving past that energy. And it's, it's similar to a bully in some ways, if you don't breathe oxygen into the fire, it can't burn. So right. That was, you know, the mentality I, I took into a lot of things. And so you get over that initial, like proving yourself, you know, and then we can actually like get down to business and do the reason, you know, do the things that we're being paid to do the reasons why we're there. 
Well, I think it's interesting because I, I, I'm sure they all thought you, you were about the age of their daughters. And well, I was in a lot of cases. In many cases. And it's the, it is the insecurity of, well, she's got this and this and this, and I don't, and they're not looking at what they have. And I think so many times we do that. We're judging ourselves against what appear to be the positives of other people, but not looking at the positives we, we own ourselves. Right. Well, and it's, it's, it's very true that, you know, what you seek, you will find. So, you know, when you're looking at things, if, if you're, if you're focusing on the differences, that's what you're going to find. And it's, you know, in our brain, it's called our reticular activation system. It's what determines our focus. And once we decide what we're focusing on, our brain is collecting evidence to prove that. So you're, you know, the power of your thoughts and your mindset. And I know sometimes that can sound a little woo woo, uh, but it's really not because you, you determine your thoughts determine your outcome mm-hmm. and it's, and you've got a lot of impact and influence on that. And, and you can you- look at somebody and say, you know, like the, so the age difference, right. And the gender difference and all the things, I mean, you could look at it and focus on that, or you could look at it and say, we're working for the same company. We have a passion for the same industry. Uh, you know, we both have life goals. We're both breathing right now. We both have two eyeballs. Like, I mean, you can there's so many more similarities than there are differences, but it's up to us as individuals to choose which one we want to focus on. But I'll tell you what, your energy, uh, your mental energy, especially is a lot better used when you're focusing on the similarities, not the differences. Absolutely. The differences will divide. Yeah. hundred percent. And that's what I, I love about the show is that I, I learned so much more from my guests because I want to know who they are. I want to know how they grew up. And then there are so many things that we have in common. I'm like, oh, well, yeah, check, 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 you know? Um, And then I like to look at it as what can I learn? What can I learn from this person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you were doing that. You weren't going in there trying to get his job. You wanted to find out what he did to make you better at your job. Mm -hmm. Not his, but in his mind, he's like, oh, young girl coming in, she's raising, you know, she's got the eye of the bosses. And mm-hmm. she's the competition. That's not the case. Um, but it's interesting. <laughs> interesting to work in that kind of an organization, um, especially as a, as a young woman. So you did that for quite a while? But so 10 years in automotive and then about another eight, nine years uh, on the energy side, both renewable and oil and gas, and then do what I do today. All right. So let's jump into what you do what you do today. After you tell me, I read something in your book and everybody, her book's called Speak Up Sister. And it's, it's fun. I, I'll put it up. Uh, <laughs> at the very beginning, you were talking about going to a baseball game, I think with your dad or grandpa or somebody. And you heard a comment, uh, a comment from Derek Jeter. Yeah. So that was actually, I was watching ESPN okay. uh, and, and Jeter was being interviewed and I remember I was in my, I was in my apartment by myself and uh, the journalist was, so I guess to qualify Derek, I mean, if you don't know, um, he was the shortstop for the New York Yankees. Uh, he was at the height of his career at the time. There's a, is it on HBO? Uh, there's a new series that was just released called The Captain. So if you want to catch up on Jeter, there's all, there's a documentary out now, uh, but he was being interviewed and the journalist was teeing up this very like dramatic question for Jeter. And he said, okay, it's a high pressure situation. You're standing, you know, there at, at shortstop, the bases are loaded. The go ahead run is on third. The batter steps up to the plate. What is going through your head? And instantly Jeter responded and he said, hit it to me. And he said it so fast. And so suddenly I remember sitting on my couch and leaning in like, what did he say? And, and the journalist was right down along the same mindset as I was. And he leaned in and said, what did you say? And Jeter sat back and he said, hit it to me. He said, when I'm in that high pressure situation, when there's a lot riding on it, when Yankee stadium is going off, I want that ball hit it to me. I know I can catch it. I know I can make the play. I know I can get the out. I know I can win the game, hit it to me. And he said it Debbie with not this cockiness or this arrogance, but with this unequivocal confidence of, yeah, I've got this. I know it. My team knows it hit it to me. And it really landed with me. And I thought, wow, like, what is, what does that mean to have that kind of confidence? And what situation am I in when I've got that same thought, hit it to me? You know, it's not, well, it certainly wasn't while I was playing basketball and you know, maybe <laughs> while I was playing shortstop <laughs> softball, but in my day job, when do I have 
that feeling. And so I, de- I identified a few of those things. And similar to what we were talking about earlier, once I realized that, like, these are my strengths, these are my skill sets. And I, le- I was leaning into those and developing them even more. That allowed me to shine in my career. So giving presentations was one of those things. I loved doing it. I was good at doing it. Um, I had fun while I was doing it. Uh, and that was recognized. And that one of my promotions was riding on that. I was promoted to participate as a train the trainer uh, team member. And we went around the country training uh, various collision centers on what we were doing. So everybody has a hit it to me. Everybody does at least one, if not several. How do you find the courage to step into that? The first, well, the first, the first piece is the self-awareness of it, okay. right? Take take a step back and, and giving yourself credit and realizing that we're not all going to be shortstops. I mean, there's a reason that there's different positions on a team. If it was all outfielders, if it was all pitchers, if it was all catchers, the team wouldn't function. It wouldn't work. So that, that skill, that strength, that, that, that gift that you have, that makes you unique, that's an important part, you know, to, to the team, to other people. Um, and that's yours to own and develop. So that's one of those things is to ask yourself, this can be a little tough. And this is why, you know, it's helpful to have a coach or a friend or someone, you know, whom, whom, you know, and, and respect, reflect it back to you. You know, what are the things that you're really good at doing? Like where you stand out, because especially for women, the things which come easily to us, <laughs> which are our natural skill sets, we tend to dismiss as not being as, oh, everybody knows how to do that. Everybody might know how to do it, but not like you do. Not like you do. And again, when you can identify that and practice it, you're going to get better at it and stronger at it at a faster rate. And that's your gift. That's your opportunity. I mean, that's your invitation to, to do that. Don't sell yourself short by dismissing it because not only is that a detriment to you, but to the people around you that, that can't do it the way you can. I like what you just said, though, about having a coach, because I found in me also that sometimes you can't see the big picture. You can't see the impact that you're having because you're like we're minimizing what mm-hmm. we can do because that's what we we're doing. When we were kids, we were told to be seen and not heard. Yeah. <laughs> you ever hear that? And mm-hmm. as you get older, you know, that whole stranger danger is don't talk to strangers. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about money. We don't do all these. We don't do all these things. It was, we were told as children and now growing up, you're thinking, well, why didn't we, I, we talked to strangers. I talked, I talked to you that first call I made to you, we were strangers. You know, we had mutual friends, which is another, another thing, but <laughs> there are so many things we have to, we have to rewrite. We have to rewrite our story, rewrite what was in, what's in us. But like you said, we have to recognize that we have those limiting beliefs or whatever's holding us back because I love what you do. And, and as I was reading it, because I'm getting ready for a conference too, that I'm speaking at, I'm very confident in speaking when I get in there, you feel it, you get empowered from the inside out mm-hmm. the initial. Well, why are they, why do they invite me? Why are they asking me? And then <laughs> they want to find out about them. Who are they? Right. Who are they that they want to hear about what we're doing? Um, and so you stepped out of oil and gas now to do your own thing. That's a pretty bravey thing to do. That's a mm-hmm. word. Courageous. Mm-hmm. How did you, how bravey, did you, I like it. How did you we'll take make, that? Next we'll make up time? new words, Debbie. It's all good. Yeah, that's in our dictionary. Great term. Mm-hmm. How did you get into that? You know, the so, courage. Yeah, this is, this is a fun story because initially when, when I started my business, none of what I was doing was, was my own idea. Um, it had been asked of me, it had been recognized and I thankfully was in a position where, you know, you can call them God whispers or universe nudges. And a lot of those were happening. Um, and one of, one of the defining moments I belong to, well, now I'm a, I'm a board member of it. And at the time I was a member of um, an association that women in oil and gas belong to. And I was at a luncheon and there were 40 of us in the room, all women. Uh, the speaker had asked everyone to go around and just simply say, you know, what's, what's your name and your company name um, and nothing clever or what's something, you know, a hidden talent or something that people wouldn't know about you. I mean, you didn't have to like think of anything on the spot. It was simply name and company, right? Something everybody knows. And <clears throat> as we went around the room, I could barely hear half of the women introduce themselves. I could barely hear half of their names and, and their companies. And 
it really broke my heart because I mean, women in oil and gas are absolutely brilliant. I mean, they've got sophisticated degrees. They do complex complications. I mean, algorithms in there. I mean, they're beyond intelligent. I was blown away continuously. I mean, my, I, you know, I have business degrees. I don't have, <clears throat> excuse me, science or math degrees. And I sat there and I just thought, gosh, if they, if I'm having trouble in a very safe environment, right? It's, it's all women. There's, there's not a single man in this room. If I'm having trouble hearing them say their name and their company, are they speaking up in meetings when they've got the idea, when they've got the answer? Are they expressing that when they're the only woman in a room of men? Because that's you know how it is a lot of the time. Uh, and so that was was on my heart the whole time throughout that meeting. And then it was really interesting because as we were leaving, I was getting on the elevator and a, a woman I didn't know I was getting on at the same time as me. And she said, I, I really appreciated how you introduced yourself. Oh, <laughs> uh, and I said, thank you. I said, what, you know, what, what about, what, what about it? Or, you know, tell me more. And she said, you just, I could, you know, I could hear you and it was articulate. You sounded confident. And that was one of those defining moments where I thought, is that something that you can teach people? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what, what's the difference? And I really started digging into voice mechanics, for example, which ones correlate with confidence, which ones don't, is there a formula there in fact is, uh, so you can teach these things. So that was one thing that was happening. And then I started getting requests to come speak to women's groups, not about, you know, a company or a product or a service that I was representing, but Jamie, what do you know about confidence and leadership in male dominated industry? Cause this is what you've been doing your whole career. And every time I spoke, a handful of women would come up to me afterwards and say, this was so great. I want to learn more. How do I buy your book? <laughs> Which was not on my radar, not on my bucket list at the time. But when the certain numbers person asked me, I thought, maybe I should think about this. Uh, and then long story short, uh, my name and the concept for my book got in front of a publisher. She called me one day. The timing wasn't right at the time. Uh, but Fast forward a few months and I had a, a departure from the oil and gas industry and I'd sent her a message uh, that same day and said, hey, I've got some time. You want to meet for coffee? And <laughs> we did. And also that year, I will share, it was just, uh, I was I was incredibly overdue for self-care. I had some personal tragedies that had happened. I had some medical things that I needed to take care of. And I think it was you know, God's way maybe of saying, Jamie, it's time, it is time for a break. Uh, my husband was very supportive. And so for the duration of that year, I made it my full-time job to write the book. And then from the book was born the, the business and the coaching and the things that I do now. Well, it's, it's sometimes it's, and I, and my guest last week, same thing. It's like, I, it's our way of God's way of saying, take a pause. It's yeah. time you've done what you needed to do. Now it's time for you to get you can't give to others if your own self is depleted. So right. build it up physically, emotionally, some of us financially, whatever, uh, and then grab a hold of it, own it, and now make it your your pain, make your pain your passion and your passion your purpose. Yes. And you're doing that now. And I love, we're going to move this into the confidence in currency again, because a lot of my mm-hmm. audience has lost a lot of money through no fault of their own. And they've lost the confidence now to move forward, especially yes. with finances. So let's move into your currency, your uh, confidence is a currency. I love how you make that story. It's, it's, it's a lifeline, basically, on, and, and it it's so understandable. So it's, they're your words, my dear. Tell us about confidence as currency. Yes. And we'll, we'll talk about some tactical steps to, to build it. So, uh, I invite you to think about your confidence as a currency, as if it were an amount in your bank account. And just like your bank account, it has your name on it. You know the password. You've got the two-factor authentication and you want to avoid security breaches. (laughs) And what happens with the the unauthorized withdrawals are the things throughout, throughout your day where you notice a depletion. You know, there's, you're intimidated by someone or something, or, you know, you can feel it, right? Like if you've been in those situations, Debbie, where you just, like you feel that drain or, you know, somebody says something 
and it's it, it's stealing your confidence or you want to say something, but it's stuck inside your head. Um, and then what's even worse is you do wind up hearing it out loud, but somebody else said your brilliant idea and is now getting credit for it. Those things will deplete your balance. There's parts of those that are out of your control. What is in your control, however, because you're the master of your account, you are a savvy investor, is controlling your deposits. And your deposits are being mindful of your hit it to me, for example. What is your strength? Spend time on that. Because when you are spending time on your strength, and this is one of the ways that you can know that it's it's your hit it to me, time will go by, right? It's, you know, you're in flow, you're in the zone. Um, and that could be a business skill that could also be like, Debbie, I know you like to bake cookies, right? I imagine, yeah. <laughs> um, I imagine, you know, when you're, ba- I mean, you're, you're watching the timer, right? Once they go on the oven, but prior to that point, I imagine that's a space where you're not paying attention to the time. You're just, you are focused, you're in the zone. So if you've noticed, for example, that your balance feels a little low, prioritize doing something like that, that lights you up. You know, we were talking about dancing before and it's, and maybe this just occurred to me as we're talking here. I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons I am <laughs> wiggling and dancing for a good part of the day because it's just a little deposit that I make. Um, breathing is a great way to make a deposit. And it's like, well, thank you, Captain Obvious. I'm already breathing. But here's here's the difference is that intentional breathing, pausing, it's, it, even saying a mantra, like I am breathing in my deposit. I am breathing in my confidence right now. I'm exhaling out my fear. I'm exhaling out my negativity. The intention that you put behind that is making a deposit. I mean, I encourage you if you're, if you're listening right now, do it, just sit up tall and straight, get in position for your lungs to be wide and tall. And I dare you to not let it feel good. <laughs> that will be a nice deposit into your account. I mean, one of the things I, I I coach my ladies on is what's your daily reboot ritual? What's your daily deposit that you make? And one of those is as simple as setting an alarm that says breathe, pump your own brakes. You know, one of the metaphors that I, I, I use a lot is if we, uh, if we drove our cars the way that we drive ourselves, uh, they would break down, right? You know, with our cars, we pump our brakes. We turn them off. We fill them up with gas. Uh, sometimes we don't do that with ourselves. And that gas indicator light, you know, when our indicator light comes on, sometimes we dismiss it. And we, when we dismiss it, guess what happens? We wind up on the side of the road, <laughs> much better, much worse condition than we would have been if we would have just paused and fueled up. And that fuel can be the breathing. Uh, it can be calling a friend. Uh, it can be taking a walk. I mean, there's, it's, it's going to be different for everybody, but, you know, put, take the opportunity right now, pause and think what are little things. And it's not a huge thing. I'm not saying take a week long vacation. I mean, take it, do it, but that's not feasible on a daily basis, but on a daily basis, what are small little deposits that you can make? Because the more of those you make, the more your balance is accumulating and the less affected you will be by those withdrawals. It's very interesting, and it's it's what's the word? It's not not a stupor of thought because my brain is just racing because I love I love what you're saying, and I can I can relate to it. Uh, for me, I haven't baked cookies in a while because my husband's like, "You're I'm gaining too much weight. Stop!" And I'm like, "Yeah, but I love to do that." And so I have friends that say, to the neighbors. Put me, yeah, put me on the on the mailing list, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'll throw them in the freezer. But that that brings me. Um, I call it my stress baking. I'm not stressed. I just love to do it. And, mm-hmm. and, and I love the way people react to it, uh, to do it as a, as a business. No, because it would take the joy out of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's one of those fun deposits right now. I, I have a stress fracture in my foot and I'm wearing a boot and I just feel like my energy is, bleh, you know, <laughs> and I need those deposits. So for mm-hmm. me, it, it could be sitting down and watching an HGTV reno show for 15 minutes, just yep. short, just to get a, you know, mm-hmm. mind change and get the foot up and, and sort of reboot and realize that you got to take a pause. Our physical bodies need something. Yes. And, and sometimes, you know, we're just so caught up in the busyness, B-U-S-Y-ness mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. life, thinking that I got to do this, got to do this. It can't, can't slow down. Why do we guilt ourselves into not taking a pause? Well, and you know, that's one of the fun things about, I mean, I love coaching. I absolutely love it because of how action-driven it is and how tiny little shifts can make such significant differences. And 
you know, in the, in the coaching world, uh, those of us who are not driven by ego, we, we sometimes refer to ourselves as just we're PR experts and it's PR does not stand for public relations. It stands for permission and reminders. And that's a, a big part of what a coach does. I mean, it asks you questions to make you think about things in ways that you haven't before and, and open up possibilities. But in a lot of cases, and this is especially true if you're a high performer, type A perfectionist or recovering perfectionist, as am I, uh, giving yourself permission <laughs> to do something that you know is good for you. Mm. Uh, I had similar, I had a labor and repair on my hip in April and, you know, my cardio is my therapy and I couldn't have it the way that I had it and giving myself permission to go sit in my beautiful backyard where I can see the Rocky mountains for five minutes and do nothing. I mean, and it's, it's fascinating to me that we have to give ourselves permission to do something so simple, but again, there's power in language. And so to say, I'm giving myself permission, that's huge. And the other piece is the reminder. I mean, a lot of coaching, it's things that you already know. <laughs> it's things you already know. They're just, they're diluted yeah. by a whole bunch of other things. And, and you're maybe not aware of the importance or the significance, but it's so much fun when you can bubble them up to the surface and it doesn't take a lot of effort, just some intention and some commitment. And then you go, oh my gosh, that breathing thing, Jamie, wow, that actually works. <laughs> I mean, I've had... I've had clients so skeptical with me say, this is total, you know, some things that I've suggested as potential deposits and it has to be your own, but you know, here's some ideas and tell me like, Jamie, this is total BS. And I'm like, all right, but just, you know, where are you with me? Will you just try it? We'll do a seven day challenge here. And then they'll come back and they'll be like, oh my gosh, that actually worked. <laughs> well, I have a friend and you may know her. Her name's Mel Mason. She's the clutter expert. And she, I met her through Linda Fisk. Mel says, ATN, allow the now. Yes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> just take five minutes just to sit and feel what is happening around you now. How does your, your mind, you know, what's your mind saying? What's your body? What's your breathing? Just pause and take a moment. And she goes, you can do it with your eyes open, eyes closed. I don't care. Just do it. And you know how hard that is? Unless you do it first thing in the morning, you get too busy. Well yeah, right. First thing in the morning or, or set the alarm, right? Have an accountability partner, put it on your calendar, set a boundary that this is unnegotiable time, non-negotiable time. Uh, and, and that also, Debbie, I mean, that brings up a good, I love that the ATN. Uh, I think part of what prevents people from doing that is the fear of what will fill that space with negative thoughts or, or other fears or things that one is scared of. And here's, here's the trick for that, uh, because our brains don't work well with negation. We can't just say, don't think about the negative or, you know, don't think about the pink elephant. Of course, we're all thinking about the pink elephant. We have to tell it what to think about instead. So that's when you say, you know, it might not even be for five minutes. It could be, I'm going to think of seven things that I'm grateful for. Exactly. So, you know, you're not thinking about the pink elephant anymore. Now you're thinking about things that you're grateful for. Um, that's actually a little ritual I do every night. Um, well, most nights <laughs> before as I'm going to bed um, to either write it down or to just think about it, to scroll through what are seven things I'm thankful for uh, that happened today. And sometimes I make it through all seven and sometimes I don't, I fall asleep, but either way, I think I'm winning um, because what a great way to, <laughs> what a great way to end my day. Oh, you're calming your brain down. Uh, because it doesn't stop. And I was talking to a, a gal, Leslie Atkins and, and uh, Leslie Austin, psychologist. And she said, even with music today, it's all X's and O's. It's all digital. And so there's no pause. You know, our brain is in constant motion all the time, trying to fill in the gaps. And it's not like when we were kids and we would go to Broadway and listen to the sound of music or something. And now it's that music. And I, and I always wondered, why are my grandchildren not calming down when they hear music? And she explained it is that there are these gaps and your brain is just moving, moving, moving. And if you're doing that, even before you go to bed, it's so hard just to relax, relax the brain and the gratitude. I used to do that. Used to, I had a gratitude journal and got them in my closet years and years worth of gratitude. And it's just like two or three sentences a night mm -hmm. just to, I'm grateful to be in bed with my husband, you know, yeah. or, yeah. Have, or my, have a bed, have a bed. <laughs> right? In a house with an HVAC system. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. it's little things because the more you get to know other people, you realize that your problems are so minor in comparison 
And I know people are out there saying, yeah, but well, there's always someone out there that's got something worse going on in their life than you do, even though yours could be really horrible right now. Right. And you know, what's interesting is sometimes those people who you look at and say, oh my gosh, their life, they have so much gratitude uh, for what they do have. And if this is total side note, but if you've ever traveled to a third world country, it is a very humble reminder of how thankful one can be for what, you know, to those of us who, who live in the United States, uh, are, are used to, uh, it's, it's very humbling to see what other people don't have and yet have these happy, uh, satisfying lives. And that comes from getting out of where we are. Mm -hmm. I I like to call it uh, five panel travel instead of five star travel, five panel travel, which means that the likelihood that five panels of the vehicle that you're in match is very low. (laughs) So give it a shot. That's a great way to make a deposit. It's it's a big commitment, but it's a great way to do it. (laughs) You know, I was in India a couple of years ago and that's exactly what happened because it Mm -hmm. was sensory overload for me. And, and no, no personal space. And I was with one of the guys from my team and he guided me through, he goes, you're safe. But I was just like, there's just so much, so many people, so much stuff, so many smells, animals in the streets. I'm like, Oh my gosh, my, I'm thinking, what would my husband be thinking? Cause he's Mr. Neat. I love him. He's a neat Nick, but he would be going nuts seeing (laughs) how walk down the middle of the street. And it and just, but the colors, then I started looking at the things that were so beautiful and it was the colors and the music and, and the music and mm-hmm. the, and the smiles on people that to us had nothing, but to them, they had everything. Mm-hmm. It's perspective. And, it's mindset. And you only get that if you leave where you're at and go yeah. see something different. Um, so I love what you're doing. And those shots of confidence for me today, it will be to go visit my 88 year old mother and 93 year old dad. Oh, wonderful. That's birthday <laughs> coming up. And I was like, we're doing a show next week called favorite things. Uh. <laughs> and I was going to do a, like a real quick, you know, fast thing. Dad, what's your favorite dessert? What's your favorite this? But when I started talking to him yesterday, he sat there thinking, I'm like, we're not going to have enough time on the show for you to think. <laughs> yeah. This is rapid fire, man. You write it down, <laughs> pop, write it down. Um, but the currency, the, the confidence and love I get from spending time with them is priceless. Yes. And that, and that's a, yeah, be intentional with that. That's a whole thing. I mean, confidence doesn't, I mean, there, there is, you know, kind of the happening by accident, but it can also happen very intentionally. I mean, it's, it's a gene that we all have and it's, it's up to you to, to flex it, to grow it. And I promise you will not regret it ever. Absolutely. Well, uh, we could go on forever, my friend. And I knew it was going <laughs> to go fast. Tell everybody what your book is and how they can get hold of it. And if they'd like to contact you, what is your contact information? Yes. So the best way to find me, uh, just go to my website, jamiemckinney.com. Uh, the book is called Speak Up Sister. Uh, you can order it on Amazon, although there's some <laughs> nuances to that. Uh, send me a note uh, at contact at jamiemckinney.com and I'll get you hooked up with the signed copy. There you go. It's perfect. It's a fun book. I started, re- I started it. I'm going to spend the day doing reading the rest of it because I'm preparing for that talk in Savannah. And it's given me some great ideas um, on how to make deposits into my confidence bank. Wonderful. And and if you've got a talk coming up, chapters nine and 15, uh, Debbie will be particularly helpful for you. There you go. I I mean, I've got my books right here. Excellent. I love it. (laughs) It's hard with the virtual background, but it's called Speak Up Sister by Jamie Dandara McKinney. Uh, coming to us from the Denver area. Thank you so much, my friend. This has been extraordinary. I love what you're doing. I'm looking forward to talking with you again and uh, seeing you with Leadership Global and our friend Linda Fisk. So thanks, my friend. I appreciate you being here today. Wonderful, Debbie. Be brave, be bold, be you. Have a fantastic day. Thank you much. Thank you for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and to being your best self. If you are the victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, Florida, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, make a small donation to help victims around the world receive the help they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfulComplete.com 
vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfotiming products at benfocomplete.com. Use the special code STANDUP for a 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thank you for being with us today. Go to my website, The Woman Behind the Smile, for additional resources and information. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and enjoy the replays. My books are all available on Amazon.com and Audible, and I encourage you to join us again. Have a great day.